最前沿的科学研究。Hey Leila, have you ever thought about the possibility of using vaccines to prevent diseases like cancer? Vaccines have played a significant role in reducing the spread of infectious diseases in our world today. It's interesting that you should bring that up, Mehdi, because there are actually researchers engineering such a thing. Using modified cells, it may actually be possible to train the immune system to recognize and eliminate certain types of cancer cells. These vaccines may not be able to prevent cancer from developing, but it seems like it could help stop relapse and metastasis. I'm really eager to know more about this, and I'm sure our listeners are too. This is Science Rehashed, the podcast where we offer a window into life science research to anyone in the world with an internet connection. I'm Leila, and I'm Mehdi, and we're your Science Rehashed co-hosts. We'd like to thank Untapped Resources for sponsoring Science Rehashed. Untapped Resources is a Boston-based foundation that funds the arts, sciences, education, and creative initiatives of people working to improve lives, celebrate community, and solve local problems. With support from the Untapped Resources grant program, we are committed to making science more inclusive and accessible for scientists and the science curious worldwide. We had the privilege of interviewing Dr. Khalicha in this episode. He's a professor at Harvard Medical School, vice chairman of neurosurgery, and the director of the Center for Stem Cell and Translational Immunotherapy. Dr. Shaw has been featured in interviews on BBC and CNN highlighting his research, and he has published two books featuring insights into cancer treatment using engineered cell types. His latest research, which was published in Science Translation and Medicine, explores the use of engineered cancer cells. These cells not only eliminate cancer cells from the tumor site, but also offer long-lasting immunity against the tumor's recurrence. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Shah. To get us started, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, thank you, Mehdi, and thank you, Leila. I did my fellowship here at MGH,、um, started my lab at MGH, and then I think 2017 moved to Brigham's、uh, as a vice chair of neurosurgery, and then also started my center, which focuses on、um, cell-based translational immunotherapeutics. Overall, I sort of have a number of amazing people in, in the center that. That basically bring diversity and、uh, bring value to what we do on a day-to-day basis, and I think that this work would not be possible without some of those who actually did the work. Well, wonderful to hear this.、Uh, might might be the, the the obvious question to ask as a first question: What was your inspiration in the first place to work in stem cell research? I think when I, when I came initially to MGH.、Uh, I wanted to cure brain tumors. I think that was,、um, and I didn't know exactly why initially. But then I got more and more interested in brain tumors, and、uh, within the first two to three years, started writing grants, and also 
realize that one of the major problems with delivering drugs to the tumors or to any you know sort of condition within the brain was delivery across blood-brain uh, barrier and, and and was always looking you know if we had a molecule that was stellar and that would kill tumor cells specifically how would you actually get it into the brain and then there was some work done previously with stem cell migration to to different in different disease models in a stroke model in a brain tumor model and you know i thought one of the ways to bring this together was to uh, because I have the engineering background um, and the cell biology and cell signaling background, if we could bring stem cells um, and bioengineering of molecules together um, to, to treat brain tumors. That's where it started. And uh, honestly, it didn't have um, big plans initially. Um, and, uh, and those days, it was, uh, it was new. I, I think this was 2006, 2007. Um, where, um, you know, sort of brain tumor research was still f trying to figure out how do we actually cure brain tumors and, um, and um, then started uh, with that idea. But also what, what we did at that time initially in my lab is brought imaging into looking at the fate of stem cells and looking at the, you know, changes in tumor volumes um, into the system. So I think it became a more multimodal approach at that time um, till um, in 2012 when we realized that yes, we, we can, we, these stem cells have the ability to cure brain tumors in mice, but how do we translate these findings into, into, the, into patients? And I, I think the journey from there Till now, it has been from 2012 onwards has been more geared. So every thought, every idea we generate in the lab uh, has been geared towards how do we actually treat a patient. So it's not just just let's do another project, but the fundamental principle behind each project is that how can we translate this into patient settings? And I, I think that that's you know uh, you know the key. And that's how we got into stem cells. Wow, thank you so much for sharing. That's incredibly motivating. Actually, on that note, we'd love to begin discussing your recent paper, Bifunctional Cancer Cell-Based Vaccine Concomitantly Drives Direct Tumor Killing and Anti-Tumor Immunity. So historically, inactivated therapeutic tumor cells have fallen short on generating a clinical benefit. So can you tell us a little bit more about the challenge that you, you sort of uh, hinted at earlier? Yeah, I think around 2012-2013, we had actually figured out that we needed, we thought that the brain tumor models that um, researchers, including us, were using, um, you know, exper in experimental, you know, conditions or uh, as experimental tools um, for GBM might not be the right ones. So, uh, you know, we, we thought if 85% of the patients were getting tumor resection um, in, in patients, 85% uh, of the patients were getting resection of tumors and then subsequent treatment of tumors, um, you know, two to three weeks post-resection, how could we replicate this in a, in a mouse model? 
because we were, you know, even now 95% of the brain tumor researchers are focused on treating an intact tumor, which either comes spontaneously or by implanting tumor cells. And we, we thought that that we that that might not be the right model. So one of the best ways to mimic um, is to build a model that actually mimics the clinics where you resect the tumor and then treat. And long story short, we, we basically created a resection model. We took our stem cells and encapsulated these in biocompatible gels because you couldn't put stem cells in the cavity because these cells would be washed out by cerebrospinal fluid and and uh, blood that would fill the cavity. So we uh, devised these biocompatible gels and mixed the cells with the gels and placed the gels in the, in the cavity. And this was the start of how do we actually translate into clinics. Some, you know, two, three years down the road from there, we realized that stem cells, you know, many of these tumor cells in the brain are very invasive. They, they like to go and move to the other side of the brain uh, from deposits elsewhere uh, from the two, from the place of their origin. And we were seeing that our stem cells were migrating, were homing to the to those deposits, but not with the intensity with which we would like them to. And, and uh, luckily we had one of the tumor cells uh, from a patient that was incredibly invasive that if you implanted it in one hemisphere of the brain, it would end up in the other hemisphere in two weeks. Before we move on, I want to pause here. Can we clarify when we say invasive, invasive in what setup? Because we, you, at one point you talk about the human tissue, right? Human tumor. But then we transplanted in, in mice, right? If I understood well. Yeah. And then we study it. Yeah, so invasive in the sense that if you take a human tumor out, which we then bring to the lab and put it in a, in a mouse, it's very invasive. It just doesn't form a nodular tumor. It just goes to the other side of the brain. So basically, it's the same in the patient. Um, and when we take it from the patient, it behaves in a similar way in a mouse as well. Right? So... Mm -hmm. So we thought if this is so invasive, it's hard that a stem cell would track it. And, and, and I, I think that's where the project actually started. So I you know, told the lab, you know, we're going to use cancer cells to, cancer, uh, to treat cancer and let's give it a try. We had the engineering, we had the tools, we had the model. And honestly, none of these guys were interested. And, 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 and so, you know, I had a hard time, but uh, one or two started getting interesting, uh, interested in the project. And we, we did start with, you know, taking an invasive cancer cell, modifying it, you know, crispering its receptors so it becomes resistant to the therapy which we were going to make it produce um, to kill the original cell and then put a kill switch in this, in this cell so that we can kill it once it has killed its parents have. we luckily we have the system I, i'm a big believer of creating systems i mean we we all get naive ideas every now and then and you know they come into the brain two days later they're out of the brain because you know we either don't have the means to pursue them or don't have the systems 
to actually put them through to get the product. In the research settings, you need to have a system where you can test your therapies. And if the system is not done correctly, you know, if we hadn't built the model of resection, if we didn't have the metastatic model, you know, we wouldn't be able to test this because then we had to go back and make these models again. And, and we had actually in the lab, these were ongoing and the new idea came, we just tested these in, in the models that were existing and we got the product, we got the results. So, so that's what I mean by having a system where you can put newer ideas. And that's what big labs do. They, they, have, they have certain experimental systems working and they have the new idea, they put it through the system. And uh, so we did publish that early in 2018 where it was also a science paper where we use cancer cells to kill cancer cells. Now, at that time, you know, one of the things, well, one of my dreams was that, you know, you know, we talk about vaccines and, um, and how do we actually create a system where we can, or create a model where we can kill the remaining. So our goal was to, is, has always been to kill the remaining cells after surgery. That's the focus. We, we're not really looking at killing the whole brain tumor because that is not what is done in, in patients in the clinics. The problem is always what happens after surgery. Because if 85 to 90% of the patients get surgery, um, so that means you have remaining tumor cells post-surgery and you have actually chemo is given three weeks post-surgery. So imagine the remaining tumor cells that are in the cavity, and there are always some cells remaining. It's hardly, you know, almost all, always 100% resection. Is in these three weeks, before they get chemo, these cells, if there are 1 million cells, they must have become 20 million, right? And then the chemo comes in, plays its role, and, you know, ultimately after six months, you get relapse, six to nine months. So our model is, can we go locally at the time of surgery and treat these cancer cells? And we, we've shown that in the previous papers. But treat now, the remained cancer cells. Yeah. That the surgeon couldn't take them out, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So now the question is, if we kill these cancer cells with these sort of um, repurposed cancer cells, then somehow they always, something escapes. Can we immunize that? Can we immunize? So this paper is more, can we create a, a killer vaccine, which not only kills first the remaining tumor cells and then vaccinates? Let's pause there for a minute because this gets into a very complicated process. After a short break, we will go into more detail. Are you wondering what our team is up to and want to get to know us better? Follow us on Instagram, where you can learn more about our talented team from around the world. Our interests go far beyond science, from illustration to bike riding and more. You can find us on Instagram at Science Rehashed. That's at Science R-E-H-A-S-H-E-D. 
peer into the lives of our team members during their Instagram takeovers. We love featuring our cats and have more fun with us through giveaways and quizzes. You mentioned immunizing or vaccinating for remaining tumor cells. So let's dissect it step by step because we have a very diverse audience in, in life sciences. So we, uh, I'm, I'm going to summarize. We're going for over the, the brain tumors after the surgery, whatever leftovers. Right now, we want to get rid of those before starting post-surgery, the chemo. The question is, we can knock them down all and like kill them, but still we want to make sure this, the, the, the whole human system or the immune system is immunized towards the cells. So right now we're talking, so there are two different processes, if I understand one in a cell-based process where I don't know if it's directly killing those tumor cells. And then there is another process probably involving somehow the immune system. Yeah. So you can engineer cells in such a way that you can release, make them release a cell killing agent. And we also make them release an immunomodulatory agent, which actually immunizes. Then also live cancer cells have their own neoantigens. You know, they are a natural source of neoantigens. So the immunomodulatory agents plus their natural ability as a, as a source of new antigens acts as a vaccine. So you don't actually, now if you re-challenge these mice again with tumor cells, the tumors do not grow. So is the beauty, is the beauty again engineering, right? Because you can engineer these two folded uh, shuttles or whatever cells that can do this uh, job at the same time locally. And another, I think another point, which is, I think, very important because we have a big challenge of delivering the drugs across the BBB, where if you do it during mm -hmm. the surgery, you also bypass this challenge. Is that part of the whole process? Yeah, that's the part of the whole process. So, as I said earlier, and I've said that a number of times um, at other places as well, that, you know, in last 30, 20, 30 years, we haven't moved a needle uh, in the brain tumor therapy field. You know, that, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. Now, if we are thinking that we're going to do bits and pieces research where we'll combine chemo with, with, uh, with checkpoint inhibitors and you know, we'll get some efficacy. That's not going to happen. I mean, we, we have to be realistic. Something has to change upside down. So our thought process is we're not going to do bits and pieces thing. We're not going to combine this with chemo tomorrow or radiation tomorrow, see how, how that efficacy is. We, we believe that, you know, system, uh, systemically delivered drugs are not going to work for brain tumors. We, we think that, 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 surgery is done in 85% of the patients. We should go locally at the time of surgery right away. We shouldn't give tumor cells three weeks to actually regroup and, and sort of grow again um, because I think that's what our therapy does. It just kills within 24 to 48 hours right after surgery. And, and surgery is done anyway, so why not use it as a means to deliver the drugs locally? So 
I had a question for you, and this is probably a naive question given that I don't I don't work with mouse models. Um, but I imagine that a mouse during surgery and a human during surgery, right, would experience like very different. Uh, well, I don't know. D- do we know that mice like surgery? How well does my like surgery and mice correlate with with what happens to humans when humans have surgery? Yeah, exactly. So that's what I was telling maybe earlier that mm-hmm. you know it took us years to build models mm-hmm. to to what happens in patients. So we do image-guided surgery in the mouse as well. We do something very similar what happens in a patient. And, and uh, you know, that has been happening in parallel in addition to, you know, what we do with cell-based therapies. We believe that, you know, 30% of my center is focused on building models, not only primary brain tumor models. We've now also built um, lung-to-brain, melanoma-to-brain, and and um, breast-to-brain metastatic models, which mimic actually the patients, what we see in the patient, particularly leptomeningeal disease, which is very, you know, sort of common in late-stage breast cancer or late-stage melanoma, um, and, and there's no cure for that. Mm-hmm. We also now have a leptomeningeal model where we can go via cisterna magna or, or via an intertrecal injection. Um, so, I think these things are important to to see if we can translate, um, you know, therapies that are done in the lab into clinics, uh, you know, much more regular. Mm-hmm. Uh, since we got into the immune system, I just want to continue in, in regard to the immune system because the immune system is always intriguing me and it's part of also my main research. So I'm looking to the to the paper. It's 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 it's. Uh, outstanding paper. Uh, again, congratulations to this amount of work that has been done. Uh, so you you show that the, the long term immunity is mediated by T cells. So I wanna I wanna just again dissect it for our audience. How was it did determined that the T cells were the driving cell behind this immunity? Where that, that started and how you found it's the T cells, it's not the other cells. I think we did uh, T cell blocking studies. We use antibodies against uh, that block T cells. And I think that's in figure three somewhere. Um, and we did also our NASIC, which tells us that, you know, you are converting an immune suppressive tumor into an immune active tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, the mm-hmm. cells do get recruited. So there's compelling evidence in the paper showing that, yeah, it's mostly T-cell mediated. And, and based on that, we are also now developing a second generation therapy that uh, will be, you know, much better than this one. And how we know this is not a direct uh, anti-tumor activity rather than an immune response? Well, we do have, um, if you look at the paper, you do have, you know, um, therapeutic cells which are only releasing uh, one molecule versus two molecules versus three molecules. And there you see difference when you only give um, the cell killing agent, then you don't get long-term immunity. Mm -hmm. So you do, when you give both, then you do get long-term immunity. I I think that's pretty, um, pretty obvious in the paper as well. And one of the other things that we did is, um, and I didn't mention that, because for this study, because we, we were studying immune system, so from our previous studies, which were done in Nordskid mice, 
these had to be done in immune competent C57 black 6 mice, which have, you know, all the T cells and the B cells. So we had to work with mouse tumor cells. So that's a very painful process because human cells have targets and everything. But going back to mouse cells and engineering mouse mm -hmm. cells is five times more difficult than the human cells. Mm -hmm. But to mimic it, you know, to bring it back to the patients, the last experiments and the last figure is mostly in humanized mice. So we did go back and, and you know, we can't use humanized mice for the whole paper because each mouse is around $900. Oh so we did only the last experiment in humanized mice just to prove the concept that, that um, this works um, in human cells mm -hmm. and, and humanized mice as well. Mm -hmm. Well, um, so what's the next step for this? research for this therapy? Um, two steps, two, two, three things. One, we, we're developing the next generation of therapeutics, you know, with some more immune modulatory molecules. Um, that's one. And the second is expanding it to um, other tumor types, breast and particularly metastatic tumors in the brain. Mm -hmm. um, and then third, taking this into clinical settings. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a roadmap of three to four years where if we do get funding, uh, which as you know, for, uh, for uh, you know, IND filing, we will need quite a bit of funding oh, yeah. to actually bring this into the patient. So we have a very aggressive roadmap of three years um, and, and pending funding, we should be able to take patients own cells um, modify them uh, with GMP-grade, GLP-grade viruses, create GMP-grade cells. And we're hoping that for brain tumor patients, particularly, um, you know, if we can have access to their primary tumors, um, we can, because around 95% or more uh, of these patients do get recurrence wow. after around nine months. So we can actually treat those patients with their own cells. I think it's probably very obvious questions again. Is there any concern of using these tumor cells as a treatment along the process? Because that's, I think, it probably going to raise a very important safety measure. Yeah, no, th th always. That, that is a concern. But again, in the paper, we've taken utmost care. Mm -hmm. So one is when we modify the cell, and we did extensive studies, I think this is early in figure one or two, uh, where we did extensive studies to see what does the cell, if we just put it in the brain uh, of a mouse, what does the cell do itself? And the cell does not grow at all. So that's clear. I see. Now still, uh, that's not enough. So we also engineered in the cell a dual kill switch. Okay. So there is an HSVTK-based kill switch, uh, which uses ganciclovir as a, as a substrate. Um, and then is, there is a um, RAPA-Cas9-based -Cas -Cas kill switch, which uses rapamycin as a substrate. Mm -hmm. So these are the early and the late kill switches. RAPA-Cas9 works via inducing apoptosis in the cells. And um, HSVTK has a much slower mechanism that works after three, four days of giving ganciclovir. 
So we have dual kill switches as safety mechanism. If the cell turns rogue, we can actually get rid of the cell by two mechanisms. So if one fails, we still have the other one. I see. Probably something important to uh, consider, right? Even in the worst case scenario. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, so, so anytime you're putting something, something in the human body, you're going to have to consider that. How do you think this will be feasible to really engineer all these cell lines for the treatment at the scale that would be needed for, for, for the healthcare system? For 80, as, as you mentioned, it's 85% of the people with brain tumors, they go through their surgery. Look, if you asked me this question 15 years ago, I would say no. Um, you know, I think um, we are in a different era where we think for um, diseases there's, where there is unmet need, like GBM, mm -hmm. we have to do things differently. We, we really cannot, you know, it's whether it's coming from me or someone else, but, but I, I, I think we have to accept that we have been unsuccessful in finding a cure for this. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think that cell engineering is difficult and uh, how do you actually bring it to the patients, we will never be able to find a cure for this. I, I think it's it's clear. And, and, and you know, in last 10 years, what has happened is viral vectors have become very optimized. Cell therapies, you know, CAR T therapies are in the clinic. Uh, NK-based therapies are in the clinics. Stem cell-based therapies are in the clinics. Oncolytic virus therapies are being approved, are approved for melanoma. So um, we, you know, the human beings are now accepting that biological therapies, personalized medicine, might be the way to go for in some disease models or in some diseases, particularly in this case, GBM. So when you're innovating something and you want to translate that into the, into the clinical settings or into humans, you have to accept that the current status quo is not acceptable. Yeah. That's the only way to bring change. Absolutely. Otherwise, we are adding one A plus B plus C and getting another paper and then, you know, adding D to it and getting another paper and we're going in circles and, and we haven't done anything, you know, any, uh, you know, anything substantial, including myself, uh, not only others, but including myself. So I think something has to change and at least we have to give it a try. I mean, there are two, three advantages here. One is that we're keeping the new antigens of the cells, mm -hmm. you know, cancer cells. We are keeping their homing ability. We are bringing in the engineering part, which is fairly easy. We can make just one antiviral vector with all the components in it. And in fact, the cell, and it is a super cell. So I, I think if we are dreaming of going to Mars and living on the Mars, this yeah. is much easier than that. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the name. Of I love Super that optimism. Cell. If you're enjoying the show and want to help us keep making content, please consider becoming one of our patrons on Patreon. Find us at patreon.com/slash/join/slash/science/rehash 
to become a patron for just $3 a month. Or you can become a VIP patron for just $5 a month. Our first 10 VIP patrons will receive a free Science Rehash water bottle. That's patreon.com slash join slash science rehash to join. One might be last question from my side, and then I will leave it to Layla. Sorry, Layla, I, I, I took a lot of questions. No worries. Uh, we move into an era where we want to uh, intervene rather than treat at the late stage. Do you think, uh, is this, like I, I think, part of your, your future pipeline or future uh, agenda where I know you 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 clarified your 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 point at the beginning of our discussion regarding systematically you don't like to send them systematic because we had failure after failure and challenge after challenge and crossing the blood brain barrier uh, it's it's very challenging mm-hmm. but again most of the diseases we are targeting them right now we want to target them the hope is to intervene at the early stage as possible that hopefully for even uh, brain tumors, we get take out even the surgery out of the, 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 the whole uh, picture. Uh, do you have this in your agenda that we can like send something through systematically and deliver it in the brain and do the job? Or you still think it's, it's very, t- very challenging? Brain is a very complex, you know, organ you know that you know it's the epicenter of who we are and you know and and i think the nature has it that anything um foreign shouldn't end up in the brain i think it's naturally protected from you know from invasion of viruses invasion of bacteria um and and that that works in our favor now we can't tell it that, you know, we don't like that favor, we want the drugs to be delivered, right? I, I think that's that's the basis that it's naturally created in such a way that it's supposed to prevent things from going in and out, right? Or mainly in. Now, in the case of brain tumors, I mean, these things come suddenly. You, you If you unfortunately have a tumor in the frontal lobe, you wouldn't notice till it's very late. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happens to majority of the patients that you know, before it's grade three, grade four, you don't even notice that there is a tumor in the brain. And I, I don't think that there will ever be an earlier detection of a brain tumor that we can intervene. Um, I think that's extremely difficult because it's a natural process. Things happen in the brain, you know, Alzheimer's, as you very well know, Parkinson, these just are natural phenomena in the brain, and brain is so protected that we never yeah. would notice it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think fighting that the nature part of that is not a smart thing to do. I, I think let nature do its thing, and we should do the things after nature has done its things. And I think that is, the brain tumors will be there, um, and we know that patients will have to be operated mm-hmm. and it, in our hands, what we do after that. It's also, we have to keep weighing the balance, right? Um, the screening 
and the the added toll of screening and the sensitivity of these screenings and how much you're actually preventing, right? Whereas right now you have a therapy that actually works on the condition itself. Yeah, I think the bigger picture in this was, could we kill and vaccinate? I, I think that's the mm -hmm. idea behind it. Now, can we optimize on this? Yes. Um, can we use cancer cells? And I, I think big diseases like smallpox, um, Renderpest and others were cured by using disease itself to kill the disease. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there is something in it. Difficult diseases have always uh, been looked at and, and cured by something unusual. And this might be, this might be it for GBMs. And do you imagine the same engineered platform can be applied to other uh, devastating diseases? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we're now looking extensively into breast tumors. And honestly, I, I think there's much more scope um, because breast tumor exactly. patients do get five years. Um, so we will have access to their tumor cells. And once the meds come in, we might be able to vaccinate them at that time. And then they can ex get, you know, 10, 15 more years. I, I think there's more scope. And, and given that we know brain tumors well, we, we we wanted to address brain tumors first, but I think there are there is a figure in the paper where we've also tried to cure lung tumors, and I think the lung tumors are there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, looking at breast, we're looking at melanomas. Um, so who knows? We might come up with something else um, in coming years. Yeah. Well, wonderful to hear that. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that we have not asked and you would like to comment on it regarding your research? Yeah, I, I you know, believe that in, in future what's going to happen, and again, this is my, my vision, um, I think we as individuals, um, if you look at now, we're paying a lot of attention to um, how we live, um, what mm. we eat, um, you know, what environment we live in. And um, well-being is uh, a, a higher priority in upper middle class, middle class, mm -hmm. and, you know, richer people. It's become a priority of what we eat every day, mm -hmm. um, how we de-stress ourselves. Um, so there are studies where um, cancer immunotherapy in particular is being influenced by microbiome. I think in, in a decade, you will see that there will be sort of instructions for patients. If you're going through cancer immunotherapy, you might want to be eating this. Mm -hmm. um, it looks very nice at this time, uh, but I would advise people highly um, to look into their, uh, the things that influence their microbiome um, because microbiome does influence the onset of diseases and ultimately the cure of diseases. And it's nothing new. Uh, if you go uh, to old Persian medicine or Indian medicine or Chinese medicine, uh, gut was the core mm -hmm. of, of um, you know, the, the, the disease development and, and cure. And the, the, the caregivers in old days would always if you go with a shoulder pain, they would always ask you, how's your gut doing? 
So I think now it's called the gut microbiome. We might have been late on trying to understand gut microbiome and its role in diseases. Uh, we might have looked at it. We should have looked at it 50 years ago, and we might have better solutions for different diseases. Um, I think, but it's never too late. I think we are now looking into it, and I think individuals are realizing that if they are physically fit, um, if they eat right, um, sleep well, um, diseases stay a little bit far away from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother is Iranian. Um, uh, she always likes to say, like, science is now sort of proving what we've known for thousands of years, right? <laughs> um, so uh, it's nice to hear you say it also. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Uh, what do you do for fun besides science? Um, <laughs> Well, I make sure I go to gym three, four times a week. Um, I I play golf in summer. Uh, I have, um, I think, an iron in every room. So I do practice in the winter by just the swing. Um, wow. <laughs> I have two kids. Uh, I have fun with them uh, as much as I can while they're still with us. Uh, and uh, I love socializing. It's the key part of, uh, of being happy. Very exciting. Well, that is all the questions that we have for you now. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for spending all this time with us. Yeah. Thank you, Mehdi and Leila. Of pleasure course. to be here. It My was pleasure. our pleasure. What a thought-provoking conversation about the future of cancer treatment. I agree, Mehdi. It's exciting to think about the impact advancements in stem cell therapy will have for so many people. Be sure to tune in next time for an episode on accelerated wound healing that you wouldn't want to miss. Thank you for listening to another episode of Science Rehashed. This episode was written by Caitlin Holly edited by Rakudzo Kanyemba and mixed by Vesna Ilieska. The cover art for this episode was made by our creative director, Emma Brand. We'd also like to thank the whole team of Science Rehashed for making this episode possible. Today, we're highlighting one of our Science Rehashed ambassadors, Parisa Zia Sarabi. Parisa is a PhD student in neuroscience in Spain. She has a passion for clinical and medical research, entrepreneurship, and innovation. She's involved in not one, but two startup companies. Above all, Parisa loves to have fun in her work. Thanks for being an ambassador, Parisa. If you're interested in our ambassador program, find more information on our website, sciencerehash.com.